and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This is episode 62. I am Zach Falconer Barfield, and alongside me today is two incredibly handsome and dapper young men. It's Mr. James Marwood. Hello, James, sir. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? And from across the pond, our dapper academic himself, Mr. Brian Sheridan. Hello, sir. Hello, guys. How are you today? Very well. Tip top. Excellent. So, yes, we have Brian as our special guest from across the pond. He's been with us a few times, but uh, it's delighted to have you back, sir. Thanks for having me back. I'm very excited to be part of this excellent, outstanding podcast. Too kind. Let's start with James. What has been on your radar since we last spoke, James? Well, there's been quite an interesting development in men's style advice. You were aware of Alexa, the Amazon product? I am. The one that sits and talks to you and tells you what you should be listening to and whether you should call your mum. That's the one, the one that sits in your room and, and listens to you all the time. Well, there's a, a, a new skill for that, I think is the, is the term, um, but a new service it offers which tells you what to wear. Okay. That's mm. a bit strange. Yes. It has no video component or camera to see what I have to wear. <laughs> I don't think they're so much interested in what's currently in your wardrobe as what they can sell you. <laughs> it's done by a company called Perialis, who are a menswear retailer, manufacturer. They look at apparently around 150 programmed occasions, so things to do with venue, weather, dress code, and then tells you what to wear. So you get an email with links to items that you can then buy, which is interesting. Sort of an automated personal stylist. Yes. Is there a questionnaire that you can fill out to determine what might be your style or do they just go by age and, you know, the demographic information? It doesn't say. And that's interesting to me. If you know Alan Flusser, the skipper, the guy who wrote Dressing the Man, he experimented, oh, probably... 2011-ish, thereabouts, with a, an iOS app, an iPhone app. It was okay. It was a little bit limited, I think, by the technology. But what I liked about that one is you could put in sort of the patterns and textures and colours you were wearing, and it would tell you whether or not they worked. And it was useful. I mean, I didn't always agree with it. I think Alan Fluss is probably a bit more adventurous than I am in that, in that regard. But it worked. Whereas, why would you want something like this? What's the reason for, for, for wanting it? It's because you don't know how to dress. And there is a survey that Perialis did to go along with the media for this. Apparently 73% of men admitted having arrived at an event feeling inappropriately dressed. I've been there, certainly in the past. I know most of my friends have. Stuff like that matters. So we want to learn how to dress properly. But I think putting that all in the hands of someone who will then just say, buy this thing, buy this thing, buy this thing doesn't really solve that problem. You know, it seems to be a, a a higher tech version of these clothing in a box things, subscription services, where they will just uh, yeah. you know, send you a tie and a shirt and pants and everything. Uh, it just seems to be like one step up from that without being able to even less customize what you might want. And I do know a couple of friends of mine who've used some of those, I don't know the names of them, but some of those clothing in a box services, they've had some decent things from them. But I think one of the differences there is they actually have a number of categories in the way you like to dress. A friend of mine passed me some things that he'd been given from one that was all around traditional American workwear that I quite like for working and for, for doing stuff in the in the garden or the yard. And some of it was really good quality stuff at a very reasonable price, but clearly wasn't the style for him, and so he passed it on to me. That's just the problem. I like to go and try stuff on 
or say to someone, this is what I would like? There's a couple of things here, isn't there? There's the fact that it's a sales tool for Amazon at the end of the day. It's, we will recommend you the products that we recommend you, which is kind of weird at the best of times. I think the scary bit is the 81% of men that report having trouble getting dressed for an occasion. Eight out of 10 men don't know how to dress. That's terrifying. It was interesting. I went out on for a friend's birthday a fortnight ago, out in Newcastle, my local city. It's several years since I've been out on a night out like that with a, a big group of guys, and we went for dinner and to a bar and a club. Got to the club, and what was really pleasing was that most of the men there were wearing some form of tailoring. It wasn't necessarily my style. It was all a little bit tight and a little bit short, sort of bum freezer jackets and urchin suits and that kind of thing. But it wasn't streetwear. It wasn't just jeans and a, and a shirt. It was a lot more considered than that. And so these young guys, because they all were in their, probably their mid-twenties, had really put a lot of thought into that and were dressing as well as most of the ladies that were there, which is unusual. But yet there are still all these guys who don't know how to dress. And it's not that tricky. Getting your own unique style can be hard, but when in doubt, wear a suit. I'm wondering if any of this is just them being not confident enough in their choices. Their choices might be fine, but... They don't have the confidence to say, I'm owning what I'm wearing. I, I believe in what sure. I'm wearing. I've made those choices and I like those choices. That's probably quite true. And it is hard when there are fewer hard and fast rules as to what to wear. Years gone by, it would have been you wore a suit because that's possibly all you owned and that's what you wore. Whereas now you've got a lot more choices and the rules, especially around casual clothing, perennial problem of what to wear on a casual Friday, for example, always tricky. I keep going back to what Captain Bird used to say, dress down Friday, tweed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I fully appreciate that. My previous client actually had a casual dress code to the office and I've worked with a couple of clients like this and it is tricky because, you know, you have the guys who keep getting more and more and more casual until someone has to say something and which is where you had guys in t-shirts and cargo shorts and dirty trainers who had to be told to dress a little bit more professionally and then you have chaps like me who you know i wear a suit to work every day that's my uniform if i come out of it you know dress down is i'll put a sport coat and slacks on that's not quite casual enough so i have to start wearing chinos and a polo shirt or jeans and a t-shirt what's the rule so i can see why guys would want advice for those tricky subjects but for occasions events things like that you know you're going to a garden party you're going to a wedding you're going to a birthday party yeah, there's lots of advice out there it's not too tricky the other i believe is the fact that we have so little at least here in in america we have fewer and fewer menswear shops where you can go in and get advice it, you go to a department store and that person works menswear plus shoes plus whatever else and they don't really know they don't really care much i think except outside of making a sale so you don't have that relationship with a mm -hmm. tailor or just anybody whose main job is to make sure that you look good and then if you rely on a wife or a significant other you're always worried about well you know this may not be what I like to wear. It's what they like for me to wear or she likes or he would, likes me to wear. That's that's also not confidence building. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly right. One of the delights of all British television, I don't know if you know a series called Are You Being Served? <laughs> it's so funny. I was just at a party last night and several mm -hmm. of us were talking about how much we enjoyed that show. <laughs> <And how> we <laughs> had no connection to it whatsoever. 
But uh, our public uh, broadcasting station over here has been running that show since the 1970s. Obviously, that was a comedy show for effect. But that was the sort of way that a lot of men would buy their clothes. You know, they would go and be advised by someone like Mr. Granger, who looks after the menswear, or Captain Peacock, who would advise them on what to wear and how to wear it. Now, as you rightly say, the guy in the menswear department probably doesn't know. I think that's true, and I think there are a lot of good advice out there on the interweb, not just us, but, you know, the Real Men Real Style is a great example, Iron Alpha M is a great example, Gentleman's Gazette is a great example of classic information. There's a number of books. Your favourite, James? You know, Dressing the Man, I think every man should own. There's a reason that Flusser is called the skipper. Even if you're not into that traditional menswear look and you want something a little bit more casual, you know, sites like Put This On, which has a real focus on menswear, especially in the last couple of years, in workwear, really, really good stuff. There's good clothes out there and there's good knowledge out there. It's just we're a bit disconnected from it. Absolutely. What about your experience, Brian? Well, first of all, my experience with Alexa hasn't been one that would make me trust it to pick my clothing out for sure. Most of the time I ask it for something and it'll say, I'm sorry, I don't know that. Or I can't find that. It drives us insane. But uh, here, yes, they sell clothes everywhere. Men's clothes. We have big box uh, stores. I don't know if it's an, uh, just an American thing. A place like Sam's Club where you can buy things in bulk. They carry pants and shirts and there's nobody there to help you. You just look at it and you, you try to hope to find your size and you take it home. If it doesn't fit, you bring it back. There really is less and less, except outside of the major cities, obviously, to find somebody to help you dress, to help you pick out the right clothes for you. And to train you. I guess that's actually the bigger part is that idea that learning to do it yourself is important. All the examples you've given are excellent. I, I love put this on. They not only have good advice, but they also have links to places where you can order good quality things. They aren't all expensive things. I mean, they have yeah. lots of lists on eBay even. I really like a lot of the guys who write for put this on. And they, they haven't done it for a little while now, but they do the video series. I mean, I think they did two or three seasons of that, which should be on YouTube. And they're well worth checking out. I talked to them about that because I was hoping for a third and they just said the expense for doing it, it just got to be so much. And then other projects that they were working on and they released a DVD on the first season with a lot of extras, longer interviews. It was wonderful. The, the second series I thought was great too. I know Jesse Thorne, who's sort of the driving force behind it, is he's got a, a very successful public radio show and his own sort of podcast network and things. So yes. understandable. But I might see if I can pick up a copy of that DVD somewhere. Actually, it sounds pretty good. So I guess the moral there is there are lots of sources for advice. Maybe Alexa will, will end up being a good one. I don't know. You can find out what to wear in lots of ways. You don't have to rely on a retailer or an online service or you know, somebody who's trying to sell to you to do it. You can get a book. You can get advice. You can go all sorts of places and find out what to wear. It's, it's understandably complex, but it's not an unsolvable problem. You can do that. I think Instagram is quite helpful now. There are so many people who dress so well on Instagram and post what they're wearing. You can easily copy that to begin with till you figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I think that's true. I don't know if it's still a thing, but there used to be some really good Reddit groups. Certainly when I was starting this, that was where I looked to a lot, where you'd get groups where guys would post their outfit of the day or what they were wearing and get critique on it. And unlike sort of what you might expect from Reddit, it wasn't all just you're horrible, we hope bad things happen to you. It was really useful, reasoned 
advice. You know, I remember posting a couple of things on there and, and people saying, I think you might be better off with this tie that you had on a couple of weeks ago. Or if your jeans were a slightly different cut, had them tapered in a little bit, they'd look so much better. It's a skill, a language that you have to learn. And so it takes time to build and do that. Well, apologies, listeners. Unfortunately, Zach had to drop off the call. He had some technical problems and kept cutting out. Brian and I are going to continue. There was an article that Zach had mentioned to me that I think was quite interesting about how etiquette saved the world. Have you Mm -hmm. seen that? Uh, Yes, I have. What the uh, Harvard University professor who conducted this study raises is an interesting thing because that might be true, but I think what's more real the reality the data might show or the perception of the people experiencing that reality. I think that's where it gets interesting. The professor in question is uh, Stephen Pinker, who I think we've talked about in the past. He's written a number of books. He did a really good written style guide, actually, which is worth looking at if you write a lot. But he did a, a book... A few years ago now called the, I think it's the Angels of Our Better Natures or the the Better Angels of Our Nature, something like that, where he puts this idea that the world has, with some blips, generally increased in safety and peace as, as long as we pretty much have history. And the point that's made in this article, which is from the Zimbabwean Chronicle of all places, is that manners, etiquette and the links to ethics and honour have gone hand in hand with this increase in peace and therefore prosperity. The way the article puts it is etiquette saved the world. It's an interesting one. Take from what you were saying though, Brian, you think that maybe people feel that that's not the case? Well, especially over here where uh, social media especially is becoming uh, so divisive for our culture and consistently when people are polled over here on, you know, and it's the political question, do you think our country is better off than it was? Do you think it's headed in the right direction? Most of the time people will say, no, it's not. And they'll point to certain events or, you know, the way people were behaving that they see in the media or in social media and then use that as their support. But if you look at the data, you know, crime, for instance, crime is at an all-time low. New York City, which you know, used to be the crime murder capital of the world. And that was is incredibly safe. You are very unlikely to be murdered or encounter crime in in New York City now. But that's not what the perception may be. Sure. I think it's Dennis Leary, the comedian, made this joke back in the early 90s about how you got respect for living in New York. You know, because we say, well, I was in Vietnam, I was in Korea. Like, well, so what? I live in New York. And they're like, whoa, you're a badass. And actually, you know, it is true that most cities are very, very safe. And I think you're right that there is this perception of fear, because I think mostly FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt, sells newspapers, sells adverts on television programs, gets people watching, and it gets them doing what you want them to do, either voting a particular way or arguing in a particular way or buying your product. The data pretty conclusively shows that we're actually better off than we ever have been. Oh, certainly. I'm a communication professor so mm. and, a, and a journalist, so I talk to my students about this, that how the news, the, the reason it doesn't report everything that's happy and sunny going on, because that's not its role. But its role is not to generate fear. It is to tell people what's going on. And then the people themselves should be able to determine whether that's something they should be worried about or afraid about. But lots of people like to be told what to think and feel. It's easy to do that. And you get good ratings for doing that. Sure. And everybody wants to have their own point of view support it. It's not all that helpful. I understand. I mean, there is the idea of wanting to belong to a group and being part of a group. And we are 
inherently social creatures. You know, humans naturally organise themselves into groups and tribes. And so there's a way of marking those tribes by saying, this is the way I view the world and these are the things that support that view. And this broadcaster or this journalist or, or this politician supports that view, mm-hmm. which is true, I think, for all the various tribes that we see. It's interesting, looking at this article from the Zimbabwe Chronicle, of the sorts of rules that they talk about. They go back to the 18th century. Etiquette that was developed about how you should behave in the king's court. Rules like not urinating in the hallway, don't blowing your nose on the tablecloth. <laughs> Always a good one. Yes. Always a good one. That's a fairly standard. I've been to some parties in my youth where the, the, you know we could have done with someone setting those rules, but not for a long time. And there's a point there which I think is fabulous, that David I of Scotland proposed that citizens who learn to eat properly should get a tax rebate. <laughs> if it's in a restaurant, I think definitely a certain percentage off their bill would be a good thing. And we have talked in the past about coffee shops doing that, you know, going in and asking for coffee gets you one price, whereas going in and saying, hello, could I have a coffee, please, gets you a slightly lower price, which I think is fantastic. I would love to see more of that. The funny thing about all of those mm. is that it wasn't that somebody thought people shouldn't urinate in the hallway it was the fact that people were urinating in hallways <laughs> because it's like any law that we have. That yes. meant somebody was doing it. You see those signs saying, don't stick your head through this railing. Something happened right. to, to, make that, to make that happen. Yeah. What is interesting to this, it's something that sits underlying a lot of this. There are rules that you have within different tribes, different subcultures that are unique to that tribe. And there are rules of etiquette that are specific to particular countries or cultures. And some of them can be quite nuanced. For example, in Japan, handing over your business card, you use two hands. In the UK, it's rude to talk about someone in the third person to say, isn't he good at this thing when he's there present, whereas in the US, that's a different rule. But yet the core, urinating in the hallway, not blowing your nose on the tablecloth, not interrupting, being obnoxiously loud when others aren't, those are relatively generic or or cross-cultural. I think we've probably hit that point where we're at what Freud talked about, the narcissism of minor differences, where we get most irritated by things which are quite similar to us, but a little bit different. And that's possibly, I think, where some of this tribalism sits, where we agree on lots of things, but it's the smaller things that we disagree on. And that's what makes us the most angry. Most definitely. The thing over here is that without legislating, behaviors because that's that can be difficult but you know the concern for what's quote unquote the nanny state well that's the nanny state telling me how i should live my life sure but it's a difficult thing to try to implement good manners and good behavior if people are resistant to it because they don't want to be told how to behave i do have some sympathy with the suspicion of the nanny state i mean i must admit I don't like being told what to do. It's a little bit, for me at least, rights go hand in hand with responsibilities. It's a little bit like the way your primary school or kindergarten teacher would tell you, if you can't do this yourself, I will have to make you do it. If you can't follow the rules, then someone has to. That is nannyism, that is nanny statism. But it's difficult to see how to solve the problem without that. And a lot of it comes to social control. If you think about in the the 50s, 40s, or in countries which have much more, I pick my words carefully here, countries which have a very tight rule of where manners are are adhered to, as stands, I'm thinking about countries like, for example, like Japan, like parts of the UK, parts of the US, for example. I, I saw that when I was in Texas. It's because people will pull you up when you break those rules. If it's in the UK, you'll get the sort of the side eye and the 
unbelievable <laughs> muttered under the breath and if it's japan you'll get ostracized and if it's texas you'll get some guy telling you buddy stop doing that that's that's not right and to me that's more valuable more more useful than someone from the government finding out about it several months later and turning up and saying here's a fine for you or here's a punishment but yet we don't seem to have that to that extent and i wonder how that fits in with pinker's idea of us being more peaceful if that lack of conflict or that lack of willingness to have conflict drives that lack of willingness to challenge people when they're doing something wrong and leaving it to the state to nanny to deal with that's uh, the crux of the argument as it were there's a really good podcast done by the bbc mark kermode who's a film journalist over here has a very long-running radio show that's now a podcast as well called wittertainment or the Mark Kermode film review show, something like that. But if you search for Wittertainment online, you'll find it. And they have their code of conduct for things that you must do in the cinema and how to behave in the cinema. And some of them are things that have been added there that are kind of, why is that rule in there? Well, it's because somebody's done it, such as taking your trousers off to watch a film. That's well against (laughs) the code of conduct. Keep your trousers on. Good rule. And also there are things in there that are sort of the obvious, such as don't eat noisy food or smelly food. Don't talk on your telephone or play on your telephone, things like that. But what's a really interesting part of that is they do encourage, where it's safe and where you judge it to be so, people to either say, oi, stop that, you're disrupting the film, or to go and ask the cinema staff to do it. And where cinemas do a particularly good or bad job, they call them out on their radio show. And being called out on a fairly popular BBC podcast or radio show is quite a big deal. I think that helps drive it. But things like that don't get better unless we make them better. And the idea that you can be a lighthouse in terms of if you model that behavior, it's often easier to convince others to do it than than try to force people to do something. Other people pick that up. That's one of the best ways to spread that. Yeah, that's very true, actually, Brian. Something that I use a lot at work, a large part of my job is trying to persuade people to change their minds. And it's quite hard to do that, especially when I'm asking them to change the way they work or something like that. Modelling, showing the behaviour that you want people to follow is really strong. And another thing that I use quite a lot, which works very well for me, is getting people starting to talk about things that you agree with. If you put your case forward and they put their case forward, you say, oh, I really agree. There's some merit to that point. And I, and, and I think you make a good point there. It invites them to make that point back about your argument. And that can be a very useful way to get people to change the way they're doing. Nobody loses face there. And that's often the biggest problem with situations involved manners is somebody thinks if, if they don't think you're putting them down for the behavior, then they're more likely to respond. I'm reminded of something Rory, our manners correspondent, our etiquette correspondent, has said, I think, a couple of times, is that at their base, you know, manners, etiquette are all about making people feel comfortable and welcome. And if you use manners and, and etiquette as a way to beat people down because they don't know exactly which fork to use or they've used the slightly wrong form of address, then you're not really being polite. You're just being an ass. One other thing that's probably worth mentioning, number one PG, Zach, has contributed to a book coming out called The Quintessential Grooming Guide. I've seen posts for that, but Mm. I haven't seen the book yet. It appears to have just gone on sale. It's up on Amazon at the moment, I know, because I just ordered it today. It's interesting. It's written by Captain Peabody Fawcett, retired of the Royal Navy. Is that a real name? I'm not entirely sure that's a real person. I think it is linked to Captain Fawcett's, which is a company that makes things like mustache wax. 
in uh, shaving equipment. When I occasionally grow a Movember moustache, I have used their moustache wax before. Uh, their Expedition Strength moustache wax, which works very well. But I'm mostly clean shaven, so I've not used it much. But it looks really interesting. It talks about some really fun individual people and their approaches to grooming and style. Uh, there's a guy, Miguel Gutierrez, who was born in Liverpool to a Chilean father and a Chinese mother of Burmese descent. And he sort of travels the world cutting hair. Fascinating guy. Mm. And, and obviously, Zach's written a section for there as well. And, and Zach's a very interesting chap. There's advice on there for how to do a perfect shave. So, so I'm looking forward to getting it. I looked up here in Amazon US. Mm. You can get it through them as well, though it's not available for their prime shipping. Right. But it does look like there are some uh, third-party places that are selling it here that you can get it for, you know, about 20, 20 bucks or so, which okay. hardcover book. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good deal. Yeah, that's that's, that's not, not unreasonable. So what's your grooming regime, Brian? How do you approach things like shaving, for example? Oh, well, it kind of depends on what day it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't mind shaving so much, but I, I've got an electric razor and I've got a safety razor and mm-hmm. then I've got a Mach 3 with a nice handle sure. that I purchased yep. from uh, TrueFit and, True and Hill, in fact. Okay, yeah. And very nicely balanced. And depending if I have time, how much time I have, I might just do a quick swipe with the electric razor. Uh, But on weekends, I have more time. So Mm -hmm. spend more time in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I enjoy using the uh, shave soap, Mm -hmm. mixing that up. And uh, it's usually all English products that I use for that. My wife enjoys me uh, scruffy. So I have to, you know, sometimes there's, there's a fine line. I, I was wearing a goatee for a, a couple of weeks, but it always starts to bother me and itch. And so I shave it off and then she, she goes, oh, and then it, I grow back again. I'll shave it off and grow back again. So I have the opposite problem. I would quite happily be bearded or ideally have a mustache, but my other half is, is entirely vetoed that idea. I'm not attached enough to the idea to have that fight. Right, exactly. Well, I've always wanted like a, a nice um, uh, Nick Charles, uh, William Powell pencil mustache oh, or Errol see, Flynn. I, I could, that's I, not going anywhere. I, I can see that. <laughs> yes, I, I did it for November a couple of years ago. And then because Duchess was away in, in Brazil for a couple of months, I just kept there growing it and kept growing it and kept growing it. And then she came back in February and I picked her up from the airport with a fairly respectable handlebar mustache that I really liked. <laughs> and that was the first thing she said was, well, that's going to go. So, well, fair, fair enough. There are there are some fights worth having and there are some not. I picked my battle on that one. I'm much like you, Brian, especially when I'm traveling through the week. If I'm flying or, or, or driving and I'm staying in hotels, I tend to use an electric razor. I don't get a great shave with that and it does cause me to get some ingrowing hairs. So normally at least once a week, I try to do a proper shave with a brush and a, and a safety razor. I tend to use creams rather than soaps, but I think that's more of a personal preference. Do you have a preference on on scent for those? I like sandalwood or rose. Got a uh, toner that is rose scented. It's made from rose petals. It's an international company. I don't know if it's over in the UK. I believe it is called Lush. We have the Lush stores here, yeah. They make some wonderful products. Everything is organic. Nothing is tested on animals. But their aftershave toner is a lovely smell of roses. And then I'll I'll use uh, some sandalwood aftershave uh, after it. See, that's interesting. I've never considered Lush for men. So I've bought gifts from there. Um, they're actually a, a British company, um, which I didn't realise. Oh. I just looked them up. They're from they're from Poole on the south coast. I really like almond 
for my shaving cream. I just really love the smell of that, and it was it's what my father uses, and it kind of just reminds me, and it has that that connection. But I like rose. I have some rose scented grillantine cream that Yardley make, and it's a bit expensive and a bit heavy to use every day. But I really like the way that smells, and that would probably go really well with the shaving cream. So I'm like, hmm, I should look at that. Are you an aftershave wearer, Brian? A cologne, usually. Cologne? Yeah. I like the product from actually 1930s, 1934. Oh, wow. It's a vanilla aftershave cologne that's from a French company that is still making it as it oh. did in the 1930s. The Rake did a feature on it. It's it's reasonably priced. You can get it on Amazon. Its name escapes me now, but it's good for all year round. I also enjoy Hermes, the orange. Yes. Yeah. Uh, cologne. And of course, Creed Irish Tweed. That's really high end. That's my special occasion go-to. You know, there's a reason that pretty much every article on high end men's scent has Creed's Green Irish Tweed right up the top there. I really like it. And I quite like the Creed Aventus. But more recently, I've been using Black Tea by Murdoch of London, who are a little chain of London-based barbers. But I like that because it's got a little bit of tea and a bit of spice and it's a little more, it's a bit unusual, which which I quite enjoy. But the vanilla one sounds sounds fascinating. Vanilla is one of it's, my favourite scents. I looked at it. It's from uh, Caron. It's C-A-R-O-N. Puron Homme de Caron. It's the same ingredients, apparently, in the same formulation that uh, they had in 1934 when the, when the fragrance debuted. Oh, fantastic. That's the thing. There it is. Yes, I can see it on, online. What's nice with this, actually, is it looks like they do a full range, so you have deodorants and shower gels and things, so you can layer it as well. Excellent. I did spend quite a while looking for a good quality vanilla fragrance a, a couple of years ago. I couldn't find one. Well, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Thank you, Brian. Well, that probably takes us up to about to about time. So if, if people want to find out more about you, Brian, where can they track you down online? Well, uh, you can go to my uh, Twitter account, which is just Brian Sheridan, B-R-I-A-N-S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I have the Dapper Academic uh, Facebook page, and I'll post uh, interesting tidbits uh, about menswear and grooming and things there. Fantastic. Do look, Brian, because his stuff is great. And with the Perfect Gentleman, we are the P Gentlemen on or, or the Perfect Gentleman on most platforms. And if you do have questions or comments or things you think we should look at, then they're always welcome. Please do send them in. But until next time, Brian, hopefully you're back with us for another episode. It was a wonderful time and I really appreciate it. Next time, maybe we talk about the martial arts. That would be good. I do want a training update. I have two weeks to go until my fight. There's a little while to go yet. Okay, my friend. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.